What is up, everybody? Hey, it's your boys. Uh, ben Stanhope. And, wait, who am I again? Zach's so tired that he can't even remember who he is. Um, I thought my name was Don for a second. <laughs> it's Zach Corleone. It's Don. No, I'm Don. You call me Don. Godfather kisses yes. Zach's hand. Yes. <laughs> you came here to be my friend. If you were to come here to be my friend, I would I would respect you. Something like that. I will make you an offer. I'm not. I'm gonna leave it at that because I don't want to bring you the satisfaction of saying that amazing quote. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you're not aware, uh, this is now one year of a movie vault, a movie vault, a movie vault, a singular one <laughs> of the movie vault existing. There's no other one, so therefore this is the only one. I think there might be another one. <laughs> There is another one on YouTube. Oh. Sorry, guy on YouTube who probably has more followers than us anyway. Probably. Um, hopefully we don't cu- start cutting into your business because people think that you started a podcast and we're the podcast. And they just don't realize and they keep... Actually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care. Or maybe much. someone comes to the podcast for us and then goes to YouTube thinking we have a YouTube channel and then finds you and then switches to you instead of us. Yeah, because our, our, we do technically have two videos up on YouTube, but they're not under the, uh, the movie vault. They're under like Last Resort Network, which never really got off the ground, but maybe it will one day. And we keep saying maybe, and maybe usually means yes. Yeah, and, and like half promises usually mean that you'll follow through. Yes. So, and and um, maybe if we structure our podcast more like the movie that we're reviewing, like the people in the movie we're reviewing, like things would get done because there'd be a lot more pressure applied to the people that, you know, need to do things. True. <laughs> if you know what I mean. I do. <laughs> Awkward so, silence. So uh, we figured that um, for our one year, we got to do something kind of big, and we have something planned for our for our fiftieth episode that we've had for a while but we're not quite to our 50th episode because we we skipped a couple weeks here and there so we didn't quite get to 52 in a year i think this is episode 44 but what ben meant by big is he meant runtime yeah yeah like huge runtime so we review we're reviewing the godfather today um probably the one of the most well-known movies ever oh yeah it's probably one if not the, is, do you think it is the the most known? Like, what, what do you think throughout all generations of people? Because like, I think if you're talking to like a kid, they'd probably say like Avengers, but if you're talking to like somebody who's older, they'd obviously probably say The Godfather. The, if you take an average yeah. of well-known movies in the past, when this come out fifty years ago, yeah, in the past half century, if you took an average of well-known movies, I think this would come out on top. I I agree. Um, I I don't even think it would be that close because I think maybe Shawshank, and that, but I, I still think there's a huge like difference in how well-known this movie is and how well-known Shawshank is. So Shawshank is like really popular among a group of people, but this movie is just, everyone knows it. Um, which is interesting because I'd actually never watched it, and neither had Zach. True. But, little tidbit, Shawshank was filmed here in Ohio. That's true. Um, if you go by, by um, Mansfield, Ohio, which if you don't have any family there or you don't have any relationship to anybody there. I don't know why you would want to go to Mansfield, but um, the only reason maybe, I guess, is to see the prison that Shawshank was filmed in. It's pretty cool. But um, The Godfather was not filmed in Ohio, at least not that I'm aware of. Uh, it was filmed in 
Hawking Hills. <laughs> that would actually be funny if it was filmed in Hawking Hills. All the beautiful Venice like displays. Are yeah, all just they were like you, CGI. You thought it was Italy, but it was actually the Hawking Hills. It's actually just very premature CGI. <laughs> that somehow it's so crude that it looks realistic. Yeah, <laughs> like they're like models or something. They're allowed to blur it because it's old, so. Or they like went back and re-edited it or something like that. <laughs> it's like Star Wars. Like Jabba was really like a cardboard cutout, and now he's like this really weird CGI mesh. Yeah, that that is the interesting thing about Star Wars. Like I've only seen like one version of the movie, but there's actually like a lot of versions of Star Wars. Yeah. So that is the thing about sci-fi movies. Like the temptation is to go back and like re, like kind of edit things so that they look better by today's standards but at some point that kind of ruins the movie like it's just an argument of what point that is yeah because they did that in like blade runner too they did oh. yeah but with blade runner the other thing was that there was the theatrical cut was like like ridley scott didn't like the theatrical cut so there's been like four or five different cuts of blade runner like the snyder cut coming out yeah or it came out yeah so that's not like a new thing the snyder cut is not like a new thing because like now you can watch blade runner the final cut which is like Ridley Scott said, okay, this is the last time we're doing this, and then he did something, and that's the one I watched, it was pretty good, but who knows whether the one that, I think there was one with, like, voiceover, and, like, they got rid of that, like, so, who knows, like, your opinion of the movie might be based on what edit you watched, which huh. is really weird to think about. I know about. they usually have director's cuts, or, like, extended cuts. Yeah, but this is different than that, because it was, like, a director's cut, theatrical cut, but the director's cut, like, changes, instead of, like, being, like, just added scenes like normal director's cuts are it's well unless you're talking about donnie darko that was actually kind of different yeah there are extended cuts too like the extended edition of the lord of the rings or whatever mm -hmm. where it's just like those ones are about as long as this movie oh right? i think more longer okay i think the extended edition of the last one is maybe close to four hours if not four hours i can't i gotta take like three intermissions and in i i watched it with one of my friends a long time ago probably will never do that again Wow, it was. Imagine a binge of all those. Oh, I don't know. It's you like have too much. Hours. You have too much time on your hands if you can binge that. <laughs> you can only and, do that when you're sick or something. In one day, yeah, I guess so. This movie was released in 1972, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and it grossed somewhere in the range of 430.9 and 512 million dollars. So. I guess, you know, there was somebody who wasn't keeping track of the money. I mean, like, congrats if it's 512, but if it's 430, I don't know, so. Yeah, although if you count inflation, I think, you know, this is a, this movie did extremely well, especially considering it was made on a, like, $73 million budget, which is, you know, I think it was a pretty big chunk sum that they were giving out. And, and the thing is, I don't, like, Francis Ford Coppola, it's not like he had done anything that big before this that I'm aware of. He's, he had to have made... This couldn't have been his debut, right? Or was it, actually? I don't think someone's debut would be a three-hour movie. How no, he, okay, how... he directed Patton, okay. which is a movie about a, a war general. Okay. So that's, like, so, kind yeah. of a, a good one to start with. How would he get, like, the the resources to make a three-hour movie, you know? Yeah, I know. You, you have to prove yourself at least a little bit first before they just let you go, like, do something this ambitious. I like that Wikipedia has his signature on there. Yeah, and it's really bad. That's terrible. It's um, better than mine. You know though. that Jason Schwartzman is his nephew? Who? The guy in the Wes Anderson movies? <laughs> you know that guy? Oh, okay. He's, I had no idea. Wait, this person sounds... Oh, this person was in Rocky? 
What? Talia Shire was a sister? This person... So the director's sister was in the movie. Her, the director's sister was in the movie, and she was in Rocky. She was the, the girl, like, the love interest. Isn't that wild? Oh, are you serious? Yeah. She was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. I thought she Rocky. was terrible in this movie. Well, people thought she was terrible in Rocky, too. I thought she was great in, the, in uh. Rocky. Um, I th- she must... Nicholas Cage is his nephew? Are you kidding me? This person's like... Wait, that can't be true. Wait, how is... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I'm gonna... How is this... <laughs> what is the Coppola family tree? Okay, we need to get to the bottom of this. Okay, so we got... This is a really big family tree, I'm gonna be honest. Um, so here's Francis Ford. So August Ford... Where's... So this is Giancarlo Coppola. She's also a director that people have heard of. Um, and then Jason Schwartzman was Talia. So Jason Schwartzman was Talia's son. Yeah. Okay. And where's Nicolas Cage fit into all of this? Wait, go to the bottom. He must be a more distant net. Wait. Oh, wait. So it says Nicolas Cage's ex-wife. Wait, what? I, I still don't understand how Nicolas Cage is related to these people. No, no, wait, wait. Here we go. Here's the Cages. Nah. Nicholas Kim Coppola. Where's Nicolas Cage, though? That's him. Where? That, A.K.A. Nicolas Cage. That's not his real last name. What? <laughs> how did I not know this? I never knew that. So, so, so Francis Ford Coppola's brother, August Floyd Coppola, was Nicolas Cage's dad. What? This is blowing my mind. The director right now. of The Godfather's nephew is Nick Cage, and and his other nephew is J- or one of his other nephews is Jason Schwartzman, which isn't as impressive as Nicolas Cage. But yeah, but Nicolas Cage is such like a that's a random person. It's a quotable guy. I don't know. Yeah. So this family has has uh, been you know they're pretty influential in American okay. cinema history. I would say. Why has that never been like a thing that I've heard about? Yeah, I feel like this is one of those things that you should find in some random trivia thing, or like, like there should be something that tells me that Nicolas Cage is related to Francis. Ford like a Coppola. Facebook post that's like, like a funny, like a dad jokes forum or something. Yeah, I don't know something about Nick Cage or I don't know. It seems like at some point it should have come up. That is that is crazy. So um, wow. Um, the most interesting family in Hollywood, I guess, is. Is what besides the there. Kardashians. Besides the Kardashians. <laughs> I guess people might find out like one day, like, what, Kanye was married to Kim Kardashian? And then he, like, and then Northwest becomes like a super famous rapper. He goes by Northway, e- I don't know. Probably just Northwest. <laughs> Northwest. That's, I mean, I mean that'd, cool, be a, that'd, be cool, so. that'd be a cool, that'd be a cool rap name. Anyway, we got a little sidetracked there because we were a little caught off guard by that, imp- that information. But, um, uh anyway i just skip straight to it um i'm just i'm not even gonna explain i just think this movie is top notch i think it's everything that you want a like remark like a you know landmark accomplishment movie to be it delivers on all fronts i'm gonna give it a botch Psych- <laughs> i'm just joking i'm so top notch <laughs> i would have actually lo- i would actually loved it if you give it a botch i've been very entertaining. I can argue from a botch, but I do think it's a top notch. Honestly, that was really articulate. Like the director really 
I don't know. I don't know who did what, but what I saw was really good. I think you have to preface it with the fact that if you don't like super long, articulate movies that go into a lot of detail about things that you might not think are that important, then this is probably not the movie for you. But if you don't mind that, then this is obvi- this obviously a top notch. And maybe you just need to have a longer attention span if it's if you don't think this movie is for you. Like maybe this movie will be good in building your attention span to be bigger. Yeah, you have to pay attention to a lot of things. We took like two intermissions though. Yeah, we did. So and and you have to kind of talk to people because it gets a little confusing. Some of the people start looking like each other, and you're <laughs> like, wait, this person was this guy from this part of the movie. And because because there was a few moments where I thought there was two people who were who were like fighting and I thought they were one couple and they were actually another couple. And it was like clear after another scene. But in the moment I was thinking, oh, why is this like I thought I thought, um, yeah, I thought the guy was being hypocritical, but then it was just the same guy who was doing the same thing. So anyway, uh, maybe we'll get more to specifically into what that scene was later. But um, the plot of this movie is. I guess to simplify is that there's a godfather named Vito Corleone and um, uh, he, he runs the mob and then he has a couple sons named Son- Sonny and Michael. Sonny is the next in line to run it and Michael was a war hero civilian who came back from World War II, I believe. Um, and uh, what happens is that they the um, the five families of the mob start to have uh, a little bit of friction going on because one of the families wants to allow um, narcotics distribution to be part of the mob, and if you don't know anything about the mob, it is a very big thing within mob history that they were very that a lot of the people within the mob were opposed up to a certain point of dealing narcotics, and they they wanted to stay out of narcotics. Um, and so this was at the point that um, people were trying, starting to push against that idea and view it as old-fashioned. So I, I kind of trying to remember what the, the family's name was. They were like the, uh, the Tadaglia. Tata, I don't know how to pronounce it. but Tadaglia. Tadaglia. It's definitely not pronounced like that, but nope. that's how you phonetically pronounce it. Um, and so the, the, then... Um, the Turk, who is the guy who's tr- kind of running things from a business perspective of trying to deal the heroin, uh, puts a hit out on Vito Corleone, the Don. Um, he doesn't die, and so Sonny takes over because his father is sick. But, um, and then things start to get crazy because people are trying to get revenge, trying to deal with, deal with things. Michael eventually kills um, Celesio and this police officer who's guarding him. And I'm going to be honest, I kind of forget why they were putting a hit on that guy in particular. Um, but I do... You're talking about in the restaurant? Yeah. They were getting this Virgil Celesio guy and Captain McCluskey. But I can't actually remember why they wanted to put a hit on this guy. Celesio. Yeah. Celesio. Ah. Uh... I think I, it had to do. It had something to do with the, the hit on his father, um, but I can't remember. Yeah, what. I think he was involved with the first hit of the father, or they thought he was at least. Yeah, 
And they also killed somebody else who they just thought might have been involved and they didn't know. That really was like their question. assistant yeah. or whatever, busboy. He was just an easy guy to get rid of. Yeah. Um, so this means that Michael has to move away. So Michael is played by Al Pacino. It's very, he's a very important character. And uh, he gets married and stuff in Italy. He, already, he has another girlfriend back in America, but he's kind of living a different life over in Italy. Um, we get another wedding scene. There was one at the start of the movie that was huge and over the top in Mafia, and we get one in the middle that's like a traditional Italian wedding. Not sure what whether there's any symbolism there or whether it's supposed to represent any ideas, but um, <laughs> and, and I like, you know, there's, people probably read into that kind of thing. Uh, when he comes back, it becomes clear that Michael is going to be more skilled at running the mob than Sonny is, because Sonny is a, a much more emotional guy, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he kind of got his, like, or there was one line where one of the, not brothers, one of the people working for them on the payroll was saying, don't lose your temper, your famous temper yet. And he goes, oh, I not yet, but I will, or something like that, you know. Yeah, he kind of doesn't hide it. And so he ends up getting hit, and they trick him through, um, they get, one of the, the families gets to, uh, I think the Barzini family, we find out later, gets to um, one of the Corleone sisters' husbands, who was the, getting married at the start of the movie, and he starts beating his wife as a way to distract. Um, he, he's distracting the very you know emotional, understandably emotional at this point, Sonny Corleone, and and he thinks he's gonna go you know kill this guy after he told him not to beat his his sister and he did it again um and then he uh he gets absolutely um riddled with bullets um at a freeway just absolutely destroyed and at this point Vito is back the don the original godfather you know he's he's kind of done with this whole war thing so he makes up with the uh Tataglia family we know we're pronouncing it long, wrong and uh, and peace is su- supposedly made within the mafia at this point, but everyone sort of knows that there's still some trouble brewing underneath the surface. So in order to get ahead of that, Michael is now established as sort of running things with uh, Vito being in semi-retirement. So Michael's starting to step into the role of the Don, and he uh, is trying to get this casino away from one of the families, um, and he kind of makes a big stir, but then it all climaxes with a huge scene where he is uh, becoming an actual godfather of his nephew or niece, maybe niece. Um, and he, uh, it's very, like this scene was very uh, well done, very cinematic. Um, it showed him renouncing the devil as he had, as different people that he had ordered were killing each member of the five families in like various brutal fashions of murder. So it was like juxtaposing the um, what he, the like what he was saying versus what his actions were, um, which is really interesting. And uh, and he also kills his um, brother-in-law, who he had tied to the murder of his actual brother. And uh, then we see him and his wife kind of she's like what were you doing and he kind of i guess for the first time you know admits to the fact that he is kind of behind all of this his wife clearly does not want to think that she is that i mean that he that michael is involved with this or that his family is involved with illegal activities but i mean the evidence is pretty clear (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> like that girl, I don't understand how she doesn't know. Like I, mean, she I, knows, I think she like, she doesn't want to know, so she's like hiding it from herself. I know, but like she's still like, I don't know. She still doesn't get like what is actually going on in every situation. There was one part where they were on the stairs after they, where she had to, get, they went out of the the baptism, and he goes, "All right, I'm. You guys will have to go without me." And she goes, "Ah, oh, but this is our only vacation." And he goes, "Be quiet," or something like that. It was, and I was just like, "Yeah, I mean." She still doesn't get exactly what's going on. Yeah, I forgot to mention the fact that his his ex his other wife was killed in a car bombing. Like oh, that yeah. scene messed me up because I was like getting kind of invested in their relationship. I was like, "Well, they seem like they're oh, like, really sweet together." Aww. And then they just like she just dies in a car bomb. That's what happens when you cheat on your girlfriend. Man. That's true. Actually, he didn't actually break up with his girlfriend. It was kind of unfair to her. So. You should have bro- broken up with her because I mean. Yeah. They weren't great together anyway. Yeah. And then when they came back, it was like, I need you. Even though he like... He's like, he says it with a straight face, no smile, I need you. And then he moves on. <laughs> yeah. She's like, um, oh yeah, Well, it's actually really interesting to understand the dichotomy of like the fact that she, she, like, for, everything is telling her that she shouldn't get married to him, but somehow she still convinces herself to get married to him. Like, how does... How does that happen, you know? Some people just do that, Ben. I don't know. Like, like she knows in her heart that she shouldn't marry him. Sometimes and it, passions get in the way yeah, of I know. logic, you know? Right. She And she, and it's not even like she's, she's lying to herself. Like, she knows. She's like, he's taking too long, but the power and the prestige, it's too uh, too much for her to give up. I don't um, know. What, what season are you in Breaking Bad? Uh, season four. But I'm almost I, at the last. Episode. I call this the Skylar White syndrome, where the the husband does something and kind of gets into some shady business, and then kind of drags the wife into it a little bit, and she becomes okay with a lot of the things that happen. Yeah, like slowly over time, it's like yep. the same journey that the husband goes through, just at a different time. Yep. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, that would have been awkward if you said like season one, and I just had to drop the whole thing. Yeah. Like no, never mind. No. <laughs> I can't explain that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's basically my uh, my explanation of a three-hour movie. I definitely left out parts, because um, otherwise we'd be here all day. I think to summarize it in like a quick phrase would be like, it's kind of like the details surrounding and the shift of power from Vito to Michael in the Godfather role, and kind of like how that happens and how the other families react. Yeah, I don't know that this is as much a moral tale, like... It's not, like, saying anything about the fact that, like, what the mafia is doing is wrong or um, what the politicians are doing is wrong. It's more just showing a story of what happens. And it's showing in a very, like, cinematic and and uh, artistic way. It's not, there's no, like, judgment necessarily on what the people are doing. Like, that's not the point of the movie. It's to explain how the, you know, the infighting within the mafia works and how... Um, like father son and family relationships play into um how these crime families are established and where people are willing to break their promises and all kinds of things like that one other thing is i actually care about these characters because especially especially don the old don like he, he was a family guy one of his lines was if you don't, you're not a real man if you don't spend time with your family. He says that in like the first couple minutes. I never gave up on my family. I never apologized for anything. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> he really doesn't. But I, I wish that you could have been a governor or a politician. But I ran out of time. There's just not enough time. 
Yeah. Something like that. No, yeah, that was the good. It, Marlon Brando's accent in this movie is like so weird. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, so soft. Yeah, so it's very soft. And yeah, you're right. That's exactly how you would describe it. Was it speak speak quietly or speak quietly and carry a big stick? Did was yeah. that Teddy Roosevelt? He, he has a very like um, abstract big stick, but it involves a running like, and having a bunch of politicians in his back pocket and having a bunch of henchmen and not sharing. Which apparently. is a very and not sharing. He doesn't share. That's um, the same accent, different character though. <laughs> yeah, it was, I real, I said that, and I realized that 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 character didn't say that line. Uh, you come to me on the evening of my daughter's wedding. That was a Zootopia a, reference. Yeah, yeah, uh, the Zootopia. I, I I didn't know why I knew that line until Caleb, who was watching it with us, pointed out that they had like parodied this in Zootopia. I was like, you're right. Yeah. They did it parody exactly this. For those listening, apparently there's a, a class for mafia movies that Caleb's taking. That's kind of why we're watching yeah. this. We'll probably review Goodfellas 2, which I'm excited about because um, it, comparing this movie and Goodfellas it would be really interesting, but we can't compare it until we watch Goodfellas, you know? Yeah, true. Because that'd be kind of unfair to the listeners. Um, but yeah, like the, the if you're going to try to get, come up with some moral or message of this movie, I feel like it'd mostly be related to family and you kind of have to separate it out from the fact that all of the families are like killing people and stuff like clearly immoral things, but somehow they're, they're justifying it under the guise of, they don't think that their people are going to watch out for them. It seems like, like they don't think the law is going to watch out for them. Um, so basically they're creating their own justice system that's outside of the justice system that... And anything that favors their family, they do. Yeah, that's true. But it, it does end up being very skewed towards um, the benefit of their family and not necessarily the benefit of everyone. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's how it's all set up. It's like the the sons get whatever they want, you know, and then like... And I was just thinking, like, what about all the hired hands? You know, they they're probably coveting that yeah. the dawn spot, but I, they respect their space. I don't yeah, know. I think this movie is trying to portray the mafia as sort of a like um, classy organization that like did things very diplomatically, unless until pushed to a certain point. I, well, yeah, especially and, when you have a character like old Don in that chair of yeah. control. Like, it was very organized that people would say he's none, a man of none, his word. None of the bosses were actually doing the things. Like, you know, that's how they got away with it, probably. I mean, they couldn't... People would do these hits and they would kill people, but nobody could actually tie it back to, um, you know, the person who's calling the shots uh, until they they got to the point where they were like, okay, we're just going to clean house, and then they really actually did some work to get rid of the mafia. I think there still is a mafia or organized crime in existence but it's a little bit harder to understand and track at this point because i'm pretty sure it's a lot more underground what ben is saying he's a part of it don't track him yeah so don't don't dig too deep into it because <laughs> that would be bad for me yeah his, his him and his family i've heard like uh motorcycle gangs are sometimes involved in organized crime at this point and you know i kind of read up on this but the mob would tend to take over things like unions like casinos things they could launder money with basically yeah. i mean now and unions obviously you could you could uh that is a really goes hand in hand with politicians so good way to access politicians uh but the reason why uh, like don Car carleona or carleone was very against narcotics was because 
politicians weren't going to put up with narcotics. They would put up with gambling and they would put up with um, what they did with the unions, but because they viewed gambling as kind of harmless and they viewed, you know, the unions that they that could get you support of voters, so that was probably helpful. But narcotics, nobody's going to think is good, you know, like nobody's going to be able to come up with a good excuse for why they're involved in making, you know, narcotics. In fact, most politicians are probably campaigning on getting rid of narcotics. So you're not going to have a real good in there. So I think there was a lot of wisdom there, but the uh, the other families were just too afraid that some one of the families would do it and take all of the money, basically. I think that's what they were worried about. Um, and so they couldn't say no, kind of. It was, it's kind of like where greed gets you, though, I guess. You have to keep rationalizing things. You can't, like, because otherwise you could give up everything that you, you have to give up everything that you work towards. Yeah, now the modern day uh, mob bosses are just our politicians in everyday life. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. I think the corruption just moved to being all... It's public. People are okay with it. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, there's definitely not, like, corruption has not ended, but maybe corruption in this fashion in a public setting has ended, like... You're not going to hear about this mob boss or whatever. They're not going to be celebrities. Um, Which is interesting to see now, like, when people make movies. It's like, these guys were, like, big deals. Like, people followed these people. I I, I mean, these people weren't real, I don't think. But the people who were real, um, like, like people would have heard of and known who they were. Um, Like, a movie like The Irishman. Um, I forget what the guy's name is, but it's, like, somebody that people would have known. Jimmy Hoffa. Um, people would, for back then, would have known who he was. Some somebody even said that he he was at one point like it was like JFK and then Jimmy Hoffa, which is kind of crazy <laughs> to think about. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's always interesting. The, this movie started the mob movie craze too. Mm-hmm. Like it was, uh, like I, I'm not sure that mobster movies were made in. I mean, there was definitely mobster movies, but not Italian mobster movies. Like there's hundreds of these now. It's like its own genre, almost. Yeah. Like, mafia movies. I mean, there's a class about it, so I guess that explains it. Right. And they, they, uh, design, they, they basically, like, if you think of, you think of mob movies as being, like, very artistic and, like, critically acclaimed movies, generally speaking, because of this movie and because of a few other movies that, like, gave this genre, for some reason, like, a higher view than it might have had if somebody like Francis Ford Coppola hadn't made a movie about it. Yeah, it's pretty classy. What about the mafia do you think, like, people are attracted to? Because there's obviously, like, an element of... Well, Al Pacino. Um, Also... (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Also, you said the word attracted. Um, Let's see. Probably that they're sophisticated and kind of, like... I don't know. To me, they're, like, the cool guys that know... They know how to do everything. And they seem like they... I don't know. Like, they seem like they know everything, especially, like, Don, old Don seems like he knows, like, he's been, he's experienced, he knows everything, and I, I, I really wanted to follow Don, like, I wanted yeah. to get in there and be like, yes, sir, I'll do whatever you want, you know? <laughs> That's true, and the thing is, I, I commented this at one point in the movie, Don kind of acts like a life coach in some ways, like, people come to him, um, he, he obviously demands a certain level of respect that most life coaches now that you hired would not demand of you, but, uh, but they're also not like going to put a gun to your head or anything like that. Um, 
but but he would he would go fix people's problems and give them advice and and things and and tell them what to do when they were in a tough spot and try to knock some sense into them if he thought they were being dumb when i think of don i don't think of him holding a gun i think of him like I don't know, with his grandson. Yeah. I just think of him as like a kind old man. Yeah, no, no, because he never actually held a gun to anyone's head. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Like, maybe he was in a room with one guy who who held the gun to his head, but he never actually does the things. He just, he, he ta- he's the talker, and he, uh, he is the, the charismatic person who wields all the power. There's definitely, like, a, a level of, like, sexiness and, and just, like... <laughs> Over, there's there's a magnetic element about the way that the mafia is portrayed in movies like like it's cool it's like you kind of wish that you could live this lifestyle it's like they're they're kind of flashy at every wo- mafia wedding you ever see there's people just giving tons of money to the bride and groom it's a very you know family oriented thing cooking is a huge part oh, yeah. just they make cooking so cool in these movies like they're always talking about gabagool and like <laughs> meatballs and spaghetti and it's like you you want to be with these people like if you've had, had any like a uh, any family who's italian like they're kind of like this like <laughs> i have one part of my family that's italian and it's like it's like there's not they're not obviously related to the mafia at all like in any way but like you can see the sort of like way that they talk and they're loud and they're warm and welcoming and they're friendly and they just sort of draw people in, and they feed them, and they Touchy. take care of them. Yeah, and 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 that combined with this idea that like they sort of run the system, like they're above the system, like the law doesn't apply to them; they can do what they want. It's and that's life. what that's what people want. Like that's 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 what our like flesh wants. So like this is sort of just like a carnation of. I don't know if that's actually. I, I don't know if the word carnation is appropriate in that sense. Incarnation or carnation? Incarnation, I think. I was about to say, carnation's a flower. Yeah, I was like, I was thinking reincarnation, so I was like, well, it's not a reincarnation. So there's carnation, incarnation, and reincarnation, and de-reincarnation. And (laughs) And de-reincarnation. So, I mean, it's an incarnation of, like, what what our fleshly desires want. So what this movie doesn't necessarily do is, like, tell you that that's wrong, but it does show you like some of the challenges that come with like there's n- it's not like a an easy road necessarily but it's, it's it's a it's a like a bougie life but it's also it also seems like there's a certain level of surface levelness because everyone acts all sad when somebody dies but they're also just always saying it's just business i didn't mean anything personal by it you know i mean the don cried yeah but like that's it you could tell that he was that everyone is trying to not let their emotions and their personal life get in the way of their business, but it has to at some point, you know? Like, even the Don who, like, yelled at somebody for crying at the start of the movie was, like, in tears by the end of the movie. So... That's true. It shows the humanness in everyone. I mean, if... The Don... Don was definitely not cold, you know? He wasn't, like, an emotionless psychopath who was, like, running things. He was very warm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He reminds me of, like, a cuddly grandpa. Yeah. I don't know why, even though he's killing people. I mean, he's sending people to be killing people. Yeah. I don't know. But you're right. I mean, that's... I think that's why it works. Like, the the warmness that draws people in is what, you know, creates loyalty. Ultimately, what the mafia is kind of about is, like, the fact that you're loyal to these people. Like, you'll do anything for them. 
So you need to create that sense of loyalty and belongingness that so that people won't cross you. Because if they're making decisions purely from a business angle without any emotion tied, then they'll, they're always going to cross you because there will probably always be a better deal. So you need to create that sort of you know, family atmosphere in order for it to work anyway. Yeah. Something else I was thinking of is like, they started off the movie where Michael didn't really want anything to do with any of the stuff. I mean, he was kind of just doing his own thing. He told that one lady, he's like, this isn't, this is what my family does. I don't really do this, you know? But then like, all of a sudden when, I'm not sure, what was it, what was it about? Where it was, it was after his father got, it was after the Don got shot and he was like, send me in a room with these two and I want, I'll meet up with them and I'll kill them both. And then they're just like, and they, all the people in the room start laughing. What? Yeah. Well, it was, so he went to the hospital to see his dad and he realized that they were trying to set up a hit on him Yeah. and he like saved him basically. Yeah. And then he got punched in the face by the cop who he ended up killing. Yeah. So that was the sort of, so that was probably why they were yeah. going after Solezo in the first, or Solezo or whatever his name was in the first place because of that. Okay. And so that's sort of the motivating start of his journey down becoming the godfather it was to protect his father yeah so i'm just wondering like i'm sure people have analyzed or theorized this before but do you think the don kind of i don't know not orchestrated but like pushed it in this direction yeah i i think that he he knew that michael was going to be the one but it was like he acted during most of the movie like he didn't want michael to be involved like there was sort of this understanding even by the way that sunny handled things and stuff uh, up to a certain point, that Michael is like he was supposed to be the war hero guy. He was supposed to be like sort of the guy who didn't ha- get didn't get his hands dirty. Like they wanted to protect him, but eventually it was like he he just bought into it as well. Hmm. Um, but you're right. I I think maybe there was some like <clears throat> his dad trying to motivate him, especially towards the end when he's like his mentor, basically. Yeah, and he was saying like Sonny was never the one. Sonny couldn't have done this like you. It was always supposed to be you. But then I'm thinking, like, that means if if he truly believes that, he would not have let Sonny take over, which means that somehow in this, he knew a lot of this was going to happen. Well, if he thought Sonny wasn't the one, he might have sort of been able to figure out that something bad was going to happen to Sonny. So in a way... You know, because of the way that he was handling things. But he wasn't really there to protect Sonny because he, he was sick. he wasn't conscious for half the yeah, that's movie. What, that's what I'm saying. He wasn't conscious to protect Sonny from himself. So what was what were people going to do, you know? his The lawyer who, um, what was the lawyer's name? Um, he was like Irish. So he, that was kind of a, like a thing that was like sort of glossed over, but it was kind of important. So he was like an outsider, basically. But, uh, but he kind of was a business advisor, lawyer, that kind of thing. And, uh, oh, Tom Hagen. Um, and he, you know, he, he, uh, he tried to keep a more level-headed, you know, approach to the whole situation, but he, he couldn't keep, um, um, what am I trying to say? He couldn't keep Sonny from his own, like, you know, his You're own You're talking about natural... the one that Don thought of as a, as That's another, not... is that what yeah. his name was? Tom Hagen. Yeah. Tom, yes. So he... When I, when I was first at the first beginning of this movie, I was thinking, like, he might become the next Godfather. Just because, I don't know, because... He, he had that canny, like, he could have, like, <clears throat> like if he was Italian, he could have done it because he had all of the right senses about things. Other than maybe the fact that he was a little bit too logical and not emotional enough. Yeah, and the Don said, 
or he said that the Don loved him as much as anyone and as anyone else as a yeah. son. So I was thinking like the, uh, the Godfather would maybe choose the one that is least like himself. I don't know. That was my theory in the beginning, but yeah, I I always sort of had this sense that Al Pacino. Well, I just figured that it was gonna be Al Pacino because you know. I knew Al Pacino was a big yeah. name in the movie, and there had to be a reason for that. I got, I just got lost in the world. I never thought of the implications or anything. Yeah. Although when Al Pacino first showed up, I was like, that's Robert De Niro. <laughs> a very embarrassing mistake. They look kind of like each other when they were young. They probably actually don't, but like in my head, they do. Yeah. Um, Robert De Niro, I think, plays young Vito Corleone in The Godfather Part Two. So I think they have flashbacks to younger. Okay. I think that's how it works. I'm not positive. But uh, two of the biggest actors of whatever generation they're in um, basically came out of these two movies. The God, I mean, Al Pacino is huge, you know. I've seen him in, I'm trying to think, I three movies off the top of my head. Um, Dog Day Afternoon, which is incredible. Really good movie. Really good heist movie. Um, uh, then... Donnie Brasco, which is another mob movie that has him and Johnny Depp. Really good movie as well. Pretty, I think it's kind of an underrated mob movie. And then Insomnia, which is a Christopher Nolan movie that everyone forgets about because it's like the most normal Christopher Nolan movie. It's just like a normal crime thriller, but has Al Pacino and Robin Williams in it. And uh, who's the girl from Million Dollar Baby? Um, Hilary Swank. Hmm. So if if that's my sort of my... Uh, this is probably... I'd say Dog Day Afternoon is probably his most dynamic performance, but he's really, really good in this, too. And then Robert De Niro, obviously, people know it. He's just one of the most well-known actors, especially in these kinds of movies. He's in Goodfellas. He's in Casino. He's in Taxi Driver. He's in... Is he in The Irishman? He's in The Irishman. Yeah. Wow. Um, Al, well, Al Pacino's in The Irishman, too. I forgot about that. Um, Al Pacino plays Jimmy Hoffa in The Irishman. And uh, and Joe Pesci. So that's the trifecta. Yes. That in the Irishman, Joe Pesci, uh, Robert De Niro, and Al Pacino, who are like yeah, the three like most Joe well Pesci. well known uh, mob movie guys. Joe Pesci unfortunately didn't have as much success outside of mob movies besides Home Alone. You know. Yes. Like that's right. That's what I was thinking. Uh, Home Alone, and I think my cousin Vinny maybe, but like he's sort of typecast. Like, but Pacino and and uh, De Niro have done so many different things. Anyway, enough of me gushing over those two. <laughs> I think Marlon Brando is also a very well-known actor. I just haven't watched enough old movies to really know what he's... Look at He's very good looking. Wow. Like, he's definitely a lot older in this movie. The way he holds himself is so funny. Like, his lips kind of, like, in and, like, in this movie. And, again, his voice is, like, very... Soft. Soft and has this sort of weird accent. Oh, yeah, he's in so many. I mean, A Streetcar Named Desire, On the Waterfront. Like, these are, like, movies that I should watch if I call myself somebody who likes movies, but <laughs> I haven't. Um, like, this is sort of like a, a movie that you could almost call, like, a passing of the torch, like, from one generation to the next of actors, which is kind of cool. And then you, you have people like uh, Diane Keaton, um, who I've definitely heard of. But, and then probably just a bunch of people who are just, like, Italian people that they cast, or, like, Italian-Americans, um, who maybe didn't have, like, huge careers outside of this movie, but, um, yeah. 
And then the one, I think in the Godfather Part Three, there's like a, the one guy from Ocean's Eleven is in it. Like the guy who played the bad guy in Ocean's Eleven is like one of the main characters. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I know that. But yeah, uh, yeah. The the acting is really good. I mean, oh yeah, for sure. I uh, like the the motion. I was I I was thinking about that specifically when. Uh, the Godfather was crying after Sonny died, and he's like trying to tell everybody what to do. But while he's crying, and then he looks at his son's body while he's trying to get that guy to fix up his body for the funeral, and he's just looking at the body and he's like quivering. And I was just like, "Oh, this acting is really good." So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think of anything else that stands out. The cinematography is, uh, yeah. There's just it's so I, I'm trying to think of the word it's like you get a lot of like scenic and scenic views for me it's pleasant yeah it's pleasant it's it's there's dark rooms but there's also bright colored scenes um scenic there's a lot of emphasis on like uh like long takes of parties flashed in between you know, the opening sequence is like a wedding and then you have meetings with the Godfather to kind of get a sense of what he's like and then you get this big festive atmosphere. Or, uh, and like I said, the end sequence was really, really good with the Catholic infant baptism going on while the murders are going on. Just, like, a lot of it, a lot of the cuts and stuff. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just really well done. Um, wouldn't want to have it done any other way, probably. Yeah, I couldn't make it better. Neither could I. Saying. I can't really think of anything to improve, because it's it does well what it wants to do, and it it like sort of touches all the bases. Because like, it has three hours to do so. Yeah, it doesn't really leave any stone unturned, even if you want the stone to remain like <laughs> on the ground and it's not like turned over. The whole climax happens, and it's like, oh yeah, do you want to go back and talk to the wife and see what she thinks? <laughs> and we're we're like, no, but it's like, all right, I'm but a like, perfectionist. We got to do it. Actually, that's probably, there's probably definitely truth to that. Like, Francis Ford Coppola probably is a perfectionist. Otherwise, this movie probably wouldn't be good. Um, and, like, these kind of directors are definitely, like, maybe there, maybe there isn't really such a thing as a director who's not a perfectionist. But, um, not everybody thought what we think about this movie. In fact, some people are more pessimistic about things. Oh, like, who? Like, Arthur... Schleslinger Jr. from Vogue magazine. Vogue magazine. Okay, all right. He says that The Godfather was an overblown, pretentious, slow, and ultimately tedious three-hour quasi-epic. Uh, I think that phrase describes his long name, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, it's kind of funny because I I kind of feel the same way about that sentence. Like it's like pretentious, overblown, slow, and tedious. Like the whole sentence is like. His sentences, those things, too. We'll leave him in that irony. Like, the fact that he said pretentious and then used quasi-epic in the same sentence is very, yeah, ironic. It's very funny. And slow. And slow. And tedious. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can see how people would say that, but it's just good. So then all of those other things. The word pretentious, I've definitely thrown around in my life. But I kind of don't actually know what it means, because what makes something pretentious and what makes something like good art? Because people are like, I think pretentious is supposed to like display the idea that the person who's making the thing thinks they're smarter than you and they're trying to let you know that. 
Yeah. But, no, you're right. Yeah. And but the, what if the, the person is smarter than you and you can appreciate that? Yeah, but not a lot of people do, especially like with titles and stuff. Like if I was like, "Hi, I'm Zach. I am three-time winner of the Heisman," and I put that in my title, like. <laughs> okay, that is. Pre- I I guess I see what you're saying. So, but it gets a little bit more like there's a gray area in art because it's very abstract. Like if you're saying like all these things about yourself that are unnecessary, like that's definitely pretentious. But in a movie that the author isn't really saying anything directly to okay. you. I, I think I figured it out. I think pretentious is when it's unnecessarily boastful because yeah. like if you're in, if you're in a forum of doctors, obviously say, hi, this is Dr. Smith, whatever, like use the doctor term. And, and you might even say, I got my education from here, here, and here, because you want people to know that yeah. you're qualified for what you or like, you did. It's I'm a not, three-time grant award. I got three grant awards. I've written all these papers. This is how many things you're I've You're trying done. to establish expertise but in then those situations. If, but then if you're just meeting like a grad student and you're like shaking hands with him, hi, I'm Dr. Blah, blah, blah. I did this. I won all these things. I did all these things. I wrote all these papers. And it's that's pretentious. <laughs> yes. You don't need to. That's unnecessary boast, boasting. So this person's trying to argue that a lot of this movie is unnecessary. But it's hard to no, imagine what movie this would be if they cut out even... Like, the most removable part of the movie is definitely the part where Michael goes to Italy. It has the <laughs> least bearing on the rest of the movie. Yeah. But I think it still adds an element of, like, thematic... Like, that's kind of thematically interesting. Like, shows part of his journey, like, back to his roots, I guess. Back to Sicily. Um, but like if anything could be cut out of the movie, it would be that, uh, it'd still be like two hours and 40 minutes. So you might as well have it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. The, what, wait, big news. That's for, oh, that's from the, the, the Talladega Nights. I was like, I was looking at the Brita moments doc and then I'm like, well, there were no Fig Newton. What is Fig Newton's doing here? And then I was like, oh, that's the Ricky Bobby windshield. <laughs> Which, funny thing is, we actually watched a real NASCAR race after this movie because the end of the Daytona uh, Coke Zero 400 or whatever was on. Daytona 400. And my, my guy, Ryan Blaney, pulled out with the win his second in a row. Zach looked not that interested, but I was super excited. No, I was interested. <laughs> just in my own way. I'm just kidding. Uh, um, I should stop saying that phrase. I'm just kidding, because I'm not kidding. He didn't look that interested. And I'm not. <laughs> and he I'm, wasn't. I'd be fine if he wasn't. Like, it's okay. And you'll never know. We're doing a little little uh, therapy here. Like, it's like, you can just say if you don't like something. It's okay. No, I have you can to, just I have to like everything, method. Ben, because I want everything to like me. <gasps> we just hit a chord. Oh. He's a people pleaser. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. <laughs> okay, what were the Brita... Was there any plot holes or flaws? I didn't really or... like either of the girlfriends. Yeah. Whatever, the wife. one girlfriend had no really real character. Like, she didn't really say anything. So, you, I, I was only because it was like... Um, I don't know. Maybe I was just... You could fill in what you wanted her to be like. So, then you just were like... She's just a really amazing person. So, that's why it was hard when the car, car bomb happened. You no. Know? I mean, they just kind of used her for some certain parts, I think. Yeah. Some unnecessary parts that yeah. definitely did not need to be in the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully, now they're, that's more of... They're phasing that out of filmmaking. Like, they don't have to have that. I don't think that's what's happening. But... Hope so. I, I hope that we can come past that point. Um... And then the other one, she was kind of annoying. And she didn't really seem like a good fit for for him. 
Yeah. So I guess that's the only thing. Um, unless. Uh, where was where was old Don's wife? She movie? was in the movie, but just hardly. But she was just like they never really s- said this is his wife, hmm. but she was around. She hmm. was like that older lady who was yo- singing at. Not so they yet. just kind of are like together, but don't don't, don't talk next to each yeah, other. Yeah, they're kind of just like they don't really. Maybe that's why he was like, "Yeah, I'll marry you," because I don't actually have to be in a relationship with you. Technically, <laughs> it was like be around your family was not around his wife the entire movie. That's true. <laughs> that's so true. Do what I say, not what I do. I guess. Huh. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. Um, stock market. So I'd invest in maybe all the main characters. All the main characters and Francis Ford Coppola and the Godfather oh, yeah. franchise, which you do okay on, because Godfather Part Two was extremely successful as well. But after that, kind of goes downhill. I c- I I could see a cinematic universe arising from and this. Francis Ford Coppola, <laughs> after the Godfather, had a semi disappointing career. I, I mean, it was not entirely disappointing because he he uh, also made a couple other well... I mean, Patton was a well-known film already. And then he uh, he also directed Apocalypse Now, which is a very well-known movie about Vietnam. And uh, I think The Conversation is possibly a fairly well-known... But after that, you get a bunch of these movies that I've never heard of. Like Rip Van Winkle, Peggy Sue Got Married, you know... Like, he just, a bunch of misses in a row. Um, and really, he never recovered after uh, after Apocalypse Now. Um, he hasn't really made anything that's super well-known, which is crazy because after watching this movie, you'd think that this guy was going to, you know, would never really make a bad movie ever again in his career. But I think part of the issue might be when you start your career off with something, basically start your career off with something that people say is the best movie ever, what <laughs> the pressure really ca- well, I mean, cave in, you know? Wh- what what do you do? I mean, it's just I I don't know, like you can't top it. Then you get really nervous and then you make a horrible movie. Yeah, and then you proceed to make like 20 horrible movies. Because people are like, "Oh, what happened, man?" and you're like, "Oh, I, I mean, don't he's know." He's still I'm making movies. One. I kind of want to watch some of these movies. Like, I wonder what Twixt is about, you know? Or like Distant Vision, you know? He's he's still making movies. He's going to make Megalopolis or something. Uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, but he, his family picked up the slack. Yeah, thanks Nick Cage. Nicholas Cage, Jason Schwartzman, and, uh, Sofia Coppola is actually a pretty good director. I've watched her movie, uh, Lost in Translation, it's really good. Um, I don't know whether any of other movies are good, but that one is good. I guess they're keeping it in the family. (laughs) It's funny. Maybe maybe this is just like a uh, like like their family, like the Hollywood mafia. They're basically like the Hollywood, yeah, the Hollywood mafia. Huh. Um, and Talia Shire, his sister, we mentioned Academy Award nominee, really good in Rocky, in my opinion, at least. But not in most people's, I guess. I mean, I guess if she was nominated for Academy Award, <clears throat> maybe people did like her performance. He's from Detroit. Nice. That's from Zach's hometown. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he also made it out of Detroit. Wow. Good uh, for him. And he went to Hofstra. Very cool. Francis Ford. Um, yeah, and that's uh overall rating, I definitely give this an A plus. Same here actually. And uh A A plus. If you wanna follow us on Instagram, you can follow us at the Movie Vault Pod. 
if you want to send us a present for making it a year. <laughs> um, Please. I, I don't know how you, you can just DM us and we can figure out how you can get us we the present. We can pick it up from you. We'll pick it up from you. Even if we don't, in Japan. We don't have a P.O. box. I'm sorry. Um, we, we are very thankful for all of our loyal listeners. All jokes aside, you don't have to buy us a present. We don't necessarily deserve it. Um, and we, we, we know, like, you know, we don't always know how many of you there are, how many people tune in all the time, but we're very appreciative of all of you who give us a chance and like to hear our random, you know, kind of ramblings about different movies. I mean, they're, they're structured. They're just, yeah. It's just Ben and I talking. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And you put up with all of our character flaws and our conversational flaws. And, and please stuff. tell us if you've noticed any character development in our personalities in the past. Or maybe year. we've just said been static for the entire podcast. I don't know. I we've, feel like I have. Like we're exactly the same as we were. When we just haven't changed at all. Um, I feel like I have at least. Yeah, yeah. That I don't know. Um, we're definitely that, a little that's bit more Ben's indirect agreeing with me. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely a little bit more comfortable behind the mic. But, um, uh, we're, it's a very, you know, it's a very authentic experience as much as having a microphone in front of you can be authentic. It's cathartic because it's we're manufacturing authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. It's midnight and somehow I'm displaying emotion in my voice a little bit, you know, here and there about a movie that I just watched and I'm really tired. So it's really cathartic because you really got to create these emotions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Come create emotions with us. Maybe that's our new... Our new catchphrase. Come create emotions. I like that. <laughs> Alright, my final conclusion about this movie is that it is one of the greatest of all time. Um, yeah, I, I thought that maybe I would be kind of on this. Like, I kind of put off watching it because I knew it was super long. And I was like, well, you know, so many people like it. The last time I watched a movie like that Shawshank, I was like a little disappointed. <laughs> but um, But this movie did not really disappoint at all. And I'm very happy about that. I would say, hmm, it's a good movie. It made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Yes, okay, that was good. I was trying to think of something witty, but it's too late. <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola came to my house and said, please give this movie a good review, and then he put a gun to my head. <laughs> I was like, dang it, your offer was terrible, but when you brought your gun up, it was something that I couldn't refuse. <laughs> All right, next week is episode 45 i think Oof. we still have this like uh we still have this uh episode that's like sort of buried that we haven't released yet so the secret episode the secret episode a bonus episode we don't know when it'll come out but it's a cool it cool a, it's a cool movie it is actually that it's one of my favorite ones that uh we're looking forward to you hearing um but right now one year still closing the vault the the vault we've had to put wd-40 on a couple of times yeah got a little sque- squeaky but um, but it's holding up, and we're so. uh, live, living in there still. Yep, it's been a whole year, <laughs> from 2020 to 2021, in a vault. All right. Uh, who, do you want to close it? Sure. That's a gun. You bang, get... bang, bang. That's a machine gun. <laughs> Nicholas Cage.